13. Hebrews chapter 13, and I want to read two verses, verses 7 and verse 17. Verse 7 and verse 17 of Hebrews chapter 13. So this is the first session in biblical obligations to leaders from verse 7. And then the next time we consider the passage, we'll go to verse 17. But we'll read them together. So Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Just thus far, uh, verse 7, verse 17. So this is a passage about obligations to leaders, as you can tell from both of those verses. Now Hebrews chapter 13, as we have seen together, contains a number of obligations that are laid upon every Christian, upon all of us. So for instance, in verse 1, he tells us that we're to love one another, a Christian love, brotherly love. In verse 2, be hospitable to strangers. In verse 3, remember those who suffer and who are persecuted and imprisoned for their faith. In verse 4, be committed to marriage and to purity. And in verse 5 and 6, we considered last week, you remember, be content with what you have with your possessions. Those are obligations that he has just, little obligations, one after the other that he has unfolded for us. Now here in verse 7 and in verse 17, <clears throat> there are another two obligations that are laid upon every Christian to church leaders. So notice broadly speaking, first of all in verse 7, remember them. Remember them, and then in verse 17, obey them. Remember them and obey them. Both of those, remember and obey, are what we call present imperatives. That means they are commands. So remember and obey, or these are commands that are given by the writer to the Hebrews. And what he means by that in the present tense is that they should exist at the moment, and they should continue on into the future. Both words then imply, remember and obey, that you won't do the opposite, and I won't do the opposite. In other words, what he, what he is saying to us is don't fail to remember your leaders. And then a little subset within that whole thing is to consider their, the outcome of their life and to imitate their faith. And then in verse 17, you will notice when he talks about obeying their, your leaders, he's referring to obedience, but the little subset is also, and submit to them. So obedience with submission, of course. And so, both of those, by the way, imitate their faith and submit to them, in verse 17, also imperative. So there's a lot of commands in these two verses. And it makes sense, in my opinion, to join the two verses together and to combine them, because the writer, you'll notice, he uses the common phrase, your leaders. Remember your leaders, obey your leaders, is what he says. And that word, leader, first of all, in the first place, is in the plural. That's why he says, remember your leaders, plural, and obey your leaders, plural. Second, the word 
The word leader there means to be chief. It means to think, it means to regard, it means to consider. It refers to leading then, it refers to governing, it refers to administrating, it refers to decision-making. Remember those people. Obey your leaders in verse 17. You will notice if you look at verse 24, same word. Greet your leaders, plural. So, greet all your leaders, he says in verse 24. Now, you remember in the Acts chapter 15 controversy that the result of that controversy was that the Jerusalem church sent two men to accompany Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. Those two men were Judas and Silas, whom the Bible says were leading men among the brothers. Same word, leading men, leaders among the brothers. So we're talking about a number of uh, leaders. We're talking about plural leaders here, the writer to the Hebrew says. Third, the word your leaders is in the present tense also, which means your current leaders, those who are your leaders at the moment among these Hebrew saints in their churches, in their congregation. Now some people see verse 7 as referring to the past, to those who have died, to leaders who have died. So look what he says in verse 7. He says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. So some people see that that's a reference to the past, but in verse 17 and verse 24 to leaders that are currently alive and that are living at the present time as he writes. And the reason why verse 7 is seen as the past is because you have that, that phrase, those who spoke, and the word spoke there is in the aorist tense which usually refers primarily to the past, to past tense. So remember those leaders in the past. Uh, but the thing about the aorist tense, which is a very difficult tense and confusing at times, it's not just cut and dried that it's a reference to the past tense, because the aorist tense also has ongoing, continuing obligations. And so, as to continuing action, those who spoke in the past could quite easily be also continuing to speak in the present. And that's how I'm taking the passage. Many, many commentators take it as a past tense reference only. These are the leaders who have gone. These are the leaders at the beginning that you heard. They are no longer with us. They have died is what he is saying. But uh, when I look at the text, those, those simple things about the aorist tense just being cut and dried, I, I don't see it like that. I think there's a continuing present obligation to remember your leaders. The word remember also, of course, does speak of recalling something in the past to your mind. So bringing something from behind or uh, in the past and referencing it in your mind. But again, it's just as easy, isn't it, that it could mean something in the present. Remember, which you might refer to something today or yesterday. Remember what happened. That word remember means to keep in your mind, to bring to the forefront of your mind, to recall, to reflect on. So whether verse 7 is about leaders who have died or leaders still alive doesn't really alter the obligation, does it? The obligation is remember. The obligation is obey. And generally speaking, the interesting thing about uh, obligations is that they all have results or consequences. Uh, to remember them, to obey them, produces consequences, produces results in your life. So I want to look with you, first of all, in, uh, tonight at this verse, verse 7. Remember your leaders. Will you notice three things? Three ways to remember your leaders. Number one, he says, remember those who spoke the word to you. 
Number two, he says, consider their manner of life. And number three, he says, imitate their faith. Now, if you want to put that down into another uh, little form of words, you could say, recall to your mind, recall, regard them, consider their, their manner of life, the outcome of their life, and respond to them, imitate their faith. So recall, regard, and respond is what I think the writer to the Hebrews includes in this verse 7 when he mentions these leaders to these Hebrew Christians. Now the interesting thing about this statement in verse 7, it just follows a logical sequence. And the writer to the Hebrews has been very logical, hasn't he, through the whole entire epistle. So for instance, you notice he starts with the person or the persons, leaders, those who spoke the word to you, then he says, having heard from them, you move on to a consideration of their character, the manner of their life, their outcome of life. And you finally, you get to their confession. You imitate their faith, their confession. So the persons who spoke to you, their character, their belief, their confession. Or if you like, in remembering and thinking about these things, you can just reverse the order. You can imitate their faith. You can consider their way of life and you can remember them. doesn't matter how you approach the verse, they all belong together. All three of those statements, remember, consider, and imitate their faith. So first of all, remember those who spoke the word to you, the word of God. Do you remember that? As I mentioned this morning, 51 years ago, I became a believer, a Christian. I remember quite clearly, like it was yesterday, the man who preached the word. I was sitting right there. And he pointed his finger at me, as I've told you many times, and said, you, you must be born again. And I went home and knelt down by my bedside and confessed my sinfulness and my sins to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him. That's 51 years ago. It seems like yesterday. Remember those who spoke the word to you. Remember them. Now, he was a missionary doctor. Uh, Central Africa and had moved down into Southern Africa. And uh, he was an Irishman. And uh, I liked his daughter very much at the time. We were young children. So, uh, I remember that. I, you know, I, I remember him very clearly. I don't remember other sermons by him. I know he spoke many times, but I don't recall those. I just recall that November 15, 1970, when he spoke the word of God to me. I remember that. Every time you hear God's word, there are two things that happen to us. Two things that happen to you. Every time, like tonight, what is it? these two things are happening as you hear God's word preached to you. Whenever you hear it, whenever you listen to it, there are always these two things that take place. So you are exposed, every time you hear the word of God, to the immense privilege of simply listening to God's word. Every time. Every time you hear, come here, listen to the preaching of the Word, doesn't matter who preaches the Word, it is always an immense privilege to simply hear and to listen to the preaching of God's Word. But that leads to a greater responsibility, doesn't it? In the second place, you then become responsible to what you have heard. So it's quite possible you might go out and neglect and forget what was said to you. And that has consequences. That has results. So there is a burden 
imposed upon anybody who hears the word of God, anybody placing themselves under the listening of God's word immediately uh, puts themselves in the place of privilege and puts themselves in the place of responsibility or accountability to God. Because it's not the preacher that you are following, it is ultimately the Lord that speaks his word. And that is the one that you listen to. It is always a privilege, of course, for me, for any preacher, to preach the word. And that, of course, in and of itself is a responsibility and has an accountability. In fact, you can see in verse 17 that uh, I have to give an account for the souls that are under my care. And that, and that, I can assure you, in and of itself is a frightening prospect. A frightening prospect. So it is a privilege to preach, it is a responsibility to preach, just as it is a privilege to hear, and a responsibility comes as a result of that. So in verse 7, you'll notice it says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. He means by that primarily in the first case, those who spoke to you the good news, the gospel, right? When you first heard the word. And of course, every occasion that you, on, that you have in ongoing time to listen to God's word, you are to remember those, he says, who spoke that word to you. And of course, that first occasion, when you remember that, let's say, your conversion, for example, that is when the Holy Spirit, of course, takes away our spiritual blindness and gives us new life and new hope and so on. And the word of God from that moment becomes very precious to us, doesn't it? It was that way for me. Uh, I was reading God's Word. I was looking at God's Word. I loved God's Word. But the moment I was converted, uh, everything changed about the Word of God for me. It became immensely uh, joyful to me. A privilege. Couldn't get enough of it. In fact, I'm thankful that I can still say that that is exactly how it is with me today. I still cannot get enough of the Word of God. Still the same desiring more and more and more. And I am dependent, like you are dependent, upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God is the author of Scripture. It is He who will take the Bible and teach us and teach and help us to understand and to learn. So the Spirit gives me an, and gives you an increasing love for God's Word, a hunger for God's Word. But that is the result of hearing God's Word. We believe through the hearing of the word. As we said this morning, faith comes by hearing the word. There's a response to the hearing of the word. So we believe through hearing the word. That's what he's referring to. Remember those who spoke originally that word to you. Don't forget them. Remember them. Now in Hebrews, the writer has spoken a number of times about the benefit of hearing God's word. So for instance, I want you to turn back to chapter 2. Chapter 2. And look at verse 3. Well, let's start in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2. He says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what, what? <laughs> to what we have heard, right? Pay attention, close attention to what you have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared, this is the message uh, of the law, ultimately, firstly, by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression of that message, of that law, uh, or disobedience, received a just retribution. If that was the case with what was delivered through angels, verse 3, how shall we escape 
if we neglect such a great salvation. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us. Notice that. It was attested to me, to you, he says. It was attested to us. So the writer to the Hebrews here says, I heard it by those who heard. It was attested to us by those who heard the Lord, meaning the disciples or the apostles. So the writer to the Hebrews says, I got this, I heard this first from the apostles, who in turn heard it first from the Lord Jesus Christ. And God also confirmed that word, didn't he? He says in verse 4, with miracles and wonders from the Holy Spirit and so on. You'll notice there's a consequence, isn't there, to how you pay attention to the word. If you, if you uh, neglect it, you drift away from it. And it would imply, he, he implies, that you neglect your salvation when you ne neglect the Word of God. And you uh, experience consequences as a result of that. So even the writer to the Hebrews acknowledges, I heard the Word. I received the Word. Now, if you turn to chapter 4, and look at verse 12... Or verse 11 for connection, let us therefore strive to enter the rest so that no one may fully, sorry, that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For, verse 12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Notice the Word. The Word of God is living. It's a living Word. It's an active Word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword because it can cut spiritually and affect you even physically in one sense. Joints and marrow. It gets right down to the very nature of its business to cut into your heart, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. That's the Word you heard. That living word, that abiding word, that word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. That's the word I heard. That's the word you heard. That's the word the Hebrews heard. This word of God. Look at chapter 6 and uh, verse 5. Chapter 6, verse 5. He says, well, verse 4, It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come. And of course he's speaking about neglecting, apostatizing, uh, falling away from the faith. You've experienced all these things. You've come under the benefit and the privilege of them in the congregation of God's people. Now these people are turning away. They're falling away. It's impossible to renew them to repentance. They tasted, he says, the goodness of the Word of God. Every time God's Word is spoken, every time God's Word is read, you taste the goodness of the living and abiding, sharp Word of God. It affects us. According to James in his epistle in chapter 1 verse 18, it was God who brought us forth by His own will, by the Word of truth. Regeneration comes by hearing the Word, faith, uh, hearing the Word of God. So what the writer to the Hebrews is saying, listen, in the first place, these, are, these leaders, these are men who have preached this word to you, which has consequences to the hearing of it. You neglect it to the danger of your soul. 
And those are the warnings that he has talked about. In fact, those passages we read are warning passages. And so he lays upon them the importance of hearing God's word and recognizing the responsibility to God's word which came to you through these leaders, he says. John Owen says that the formal cause in all of these things is the word of God, but the instrumental cause are those who preach the word to us. God uses instruments. God uses people to share the word, witness, testify, proclaim, declare, preach. God uses us. God uses people. So no matter how the word came, in this case, those who preached the word to you, and of course, what did they preach? They preached the word of God. The word of God is essential and vital and necessary in salvation. You hear it when you, or you receive salvation when you hear this word. The writer says, don't forget your leaders who preached that word to you, the goodness of that word, because it has an effect upon you in conversion and it has an ongoing effect upon your life in sanctification. So we're to remember them, he says. How do you remember them? You value them, what they did. They are the instruments God used. You thank God that God used them in helping you to understand, come to faith, and grow in grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember them by recalling them to your mind, by thinking about them with affection and with desire and delight. You remember them by considering them. And as we shall see, that's exactly what he says. Consider their outcome, their manner of life. And this kind of recollection, by the way, is an active recollection. You have to do it. You have to engage in it. It's not just like, I have some vague memory of how the word came. No, be particular, he says. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke the word to you, you know them, remember them, remind yourself of them. From the first hearing of the word of God to the ongoing hearing of the word of God. And as I said, that is a privilege to do that, to hear. But it renders all of us accountable and responsible to that. Now there are some people who are not prepared to accept the responsibility. They might hear God's word and then forget about God's word how it ever came to them and neglect it. That is to the danger of their soul. Because every time you hear, you place yourself under God. To be obligated to God. To do what His Word says. So we remember those, he says, who shared the Word with us, who taught the Word of God to us. Well, how do we do that? We do it by receiving what they say from the Word of God. We do it by holding fast to the Word of God that they reveal. We do it by calling to our minds again and again and again what they said. We do it by meditating on the Word that they have received. Now I'm quite frightened by our website, you know, which has a vast number of sermons of mine on it. I've said a lot of words when I think about it, millions of them. Uh, there's thousands of sermons on there. They go back 16 and a half years, Sunday by Sunday, twice every Sunday. Sunday school is not even on the website, which is another, I don't know how many. Uh, there's a lot of words, right? A lot of words to think about and to recall. And I have an accountability to, to know that what I say, at least let it be consistent. Let it be faithful. If you chop and change all the time with every new fad that comes and goes, people will soon pick up on that. Now maybe people want that. I think our world does want that and the church does want that at large. 
So it's a very uh, serious obligation. Anybody has them, open your mouth and, and declare the word of God. Even if you share the word in witnessing to somebody, you immediately bring all of these accountability things uh, into light. When I read God's word, when I read my Bible, I immediately at the same time place myself under obligation to do what God says. To receive it because it's from God. It's like manna from heaven. It's food from God. It's the bread of life. And there it is before me as I read it every day and I place myself under obligation just by reading the word. And that is just simply how it is with God and his word. Faith is required, isn't it, when you hear the word of God? Because it's, no, it's pointless reading the word and then saying, well, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. No, faith is required to, because everything God says is for our good for our benefit, for our blessing. So when I read God's word, when I hear God's word, I must latch on to it as what it really is. It is the word of God. And I must delight and joy in it. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, the writer says this, he says, Good news came to us, and it benefits us, but only when we are united by faith to the hearing of it. So good news has come to you. Good news has come to me. And it only benefits you and it only benefits me if we have received it by faith and believe it. It's pointless just hearing it and not believing it. In fact, just hearing it places you under an obligation to believe it. Because it comes from God, who must be believed. So we remember then those, if you like, from the past, and those who in the present, he says, commit or preach or proclaim the word, who are the means or the instruments of God by which we continue to experience the voice of God, the Word of God speaking to us. We do not receive these things because they are the words of men. We're not interested in the words of men. It's like Paul told the Ephesian council, the Ephesian elders, sorry, in Acts chapter 20, I declared to you, I preached to you the whole counsel of God. I didn't leave anything out. I started at the beginning and I just showed you everything. I declared to you all of God's word. And Paul certainly saw himself as accountable to God to do that. Because the blood of men would have been on his hands if he hadn't declared all of the word of God. Like God puts an obligation upon Ezekiel the prophet. You better make sure, Ezekiel, since you're my prophet and my spokesman, that every single thing I say to you, you declare to every other person. And if you fail to do that, then they, you are accountable for their souls. And that's exactly what verse 17 stresses, the accountability that a leader has because they preach or share the word of God. And that, I think, is what we have done, dear congregation. We have received God's word because that's what it is. It's the word of God and it's not the word of men. And I like that. The second Helvetic confession of faith was written in 1562. It has a very, very insightful little statement in its section on the doctrine of Holy Scripture. And it goes like this. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. It's a very insightful statement. The preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. Now that's exactly what the prophetic word, the prophetic message the prophets gave was. It wasn't the prophet's word, it was God's word, just through a mouthpiece. So the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. 
So it's not the preacher per se who counsel matters. Because you'll notice there can be many preachers and a variety of preachers with a variety of characters and personalities, but there's only one word of God, the same word, the word of God. It's only God's word then that matters. And when it is proclaimed, no matter how it is proclaimed, by whom it is proclaimed, it is always and only God's word that is preached to us. What a privilege it is then to not only preach the word, but to hear the word always. So, remember those who spoke the word to you. That's the first thing. Second, he says in verse 7 that the second way to remember leaders is to consider their manner of life. And what he means by that is he says, look at their characters, have regard for their characters. Now, if it's a frightful thing, by the way, to preach the word of God, is it a frightful thing to have people think about your character and to examine you in their minds and in their hearts? The one thing I know about our characters is that they are formed by our commitment to the Word of Christ, to the Word of God. That the more you are sold out, devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God, the more you are conformed by that, changed by that. So characters are formed by the Word of God under the work and the influence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That goes for your private life as well, your personal life, your devotional life. You read the Bible, your character is being formed and developed by the Bible. Your life has been changed. So you notice what he says here. He says, I want you to consider their manner of life, their outcome of life. That word consider means to observe carefully, to examine, to reflect on. Now it's a hard thing to know that when you talk to people, they're reflecting on you deeply, <laughs> considering your life, looking at you. This considering, by the way, is a, is a real consideration. It's not, a, it's not one of neglect because you can consider people by neglecting them. You can consider your leaders by forgetting about them. You could think on that in that way about leaders. It is not a casual reflection, a casual uh, consideration because a leader's life is to be out there in front as an example for others to look at and for others to consider and to follow. So the character of a leader is always going to be marked by, it should be at least marked by, deep conviction and deep consistency. That there is a person who believes what they preach and believes what they say and wants to live in the light of what they believe and what they proclaim. Now I say that's the standard for every Christian. But that is even more the standard for those who would dare to enter the pulpit to preach God's word. So the character of the leader must convey their convictions. It's no good a preacher getting into the pulpit and, well, I'm not sure if this is the word of God. Well, I'm not sure if I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, what kind of preacher would that be? Be a false prophet, right? You wouldn't want to listen to such people, but yet people have itching ears. They want to hear all those kinds of things. So the character of a leader then must be in this way, that the leader himself must truly believe what God says in his word and must strive to fulfill that and be that kind of example to the flock of God. So the writer says, I want you to look at their lives, look at their lives, and then he says, consider how it is worked out, how it is lived, their manner of life. So notice that phrase, the outcome or the manner of their way of life. What does that mean? It means you can see mine. I can't hide it from you. 
you know me, you talk to me, you see me, you watch me from afar, I'm sure, with your eyes and, and listen to what I say. I mean, you just can't avoid that as a, as a leader, as a preacher. It's just completely unavoidable. So I know that my life is out there in front and you all can see it and it's held out there. And I pray that my life is one of consistency and one of conviction. And the only way I know that that can be is if I hold myself firmly to the Word that has been preached to me and that I have heard. So the life of a leader is always lived out front in the eyes of the congregation, in the eyes of people. That's why he says consider the outcome. That word outcome is look at the direction of their life. Where are they going? And it's a word that means their way of life or the end. What is the aim of their life? A leader's life then must be worth emulating, must be worth following. So all leaders in Scripture, if you read the Old Testament, you read the New Testament, all the leaders in the Word of God, their lives are going in a particular direction. They're all going to the end. And they're all going there the same way, by faith, right? And those who follow along are all urged, by the way, to go in the same direction because it leads to the same outcome. It leads to the same end leads to to God himself all character is molded as I said by conviction so conviction is something that must be seen it must be demonstrated it must be shown it can't be hidden I'm sure you want to know what I believe in fact I know that because you always ask me questions you want to know what I think. You want to know what a leader thinks. That's just natural. That's right. That's how it should be. Didn't the disciples ask Jesus questions? They were always asking Jesus questions. Probing Jesus. What do you mean by that? Why did you say that? What is that? So all character is going to be molded by the convictions of the person who holds them. So uh, that conviction must be seen. It must be worth emulating, worth following, worth being considered. The writer to the Hebrew says, I want you to think like that about these elders that you, or these leaders that you know. In other words, follow the sum total of their life day by day. It's out there. can't be hidden. So the life of a minister of the Word of God is not a secret life. It's lived in front of people. Now, there can be secrets. That is true. But that's in the sight of God as well. Nothing is hidden from the eyes of God. Your private life, my private life. Your public life, my public life. None of it is hidden from God. So to have somebody consider the manner of your life means you better make sure that there's consistency in your life that's worth following. I mean, isn't that Hebrews chapter 11? I mean, why does he tell us about all these Old Testament characters, right? All the way from Abel, Enoch, Noah, down through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. All the way on. All of them. He just lists them out there. Why, do, why does he put them out there for you and me? So that you can pay attention to them. I want my faith to be like Abraham's faith. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be like King David. Whatever it is. Hebrews chapter 11 is there for you to consider, to emulate, to think on those saints in the Old Testament to be like them. Because that's what our faith is. It's the same faith. We want to be like those. It causes us then to examine our lives and it causes us, or to examine their lives, and it causes us to emulate their lives when you examine them because you look at them and you say, that's what I would like to be like. When you experience trial, 
then think about Abraham and his trials or Jacob and his trials and think about their lives. So we should be able to look at a leader's life, the writer to the Hebrew says, to say to ourselves, I know where that life is going. I know the direction of that life. I know where that's ending. I know where it's going. And so through all the changing circumstances of life, that leader's life is going to the end. He has conviction and he's consistent. I want to be like that. I consider that outline. It's a spiritual life we're talking about, right? Primarily a spiritual life. So the, the minister of the word must never be lazy or careless, but he must be consistent and he must be diligent. Why? Because others are led by his life, whether he likes it or not. So make sure it's the very best life. I mean, when you consider Paul's life or you consider Peter's life, you can see the direction they're going in, right? They are wanting to be like Christ. Doesn't Paul even stress that so deeply, right? That I may be found in him. That I may be like him in his death, in his sufferings. Conformed to him. I want to be like Jesus, he says. That's the, that's the aim. That's what the writer to the Hebrew says to these Hebrew Christians. Think on that. Consider that in your leaders, that outcome, that manner of life. That's what, what Paul was like before the Ephesian elders, as I said, of how he lived and how he worked. In fact, in Philippians 3 and verse 17, he says this to the Philippian church. He says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk to the example that you have in us. There it is, right? I mean, who's going to go around saying, imitate me, follow me? But that's what Paul was quite happy to do with these Philippian Christians. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk in exactly the same way. Because it's worth emulating. It's worth following. It's the right thing to do. And he told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, Let no one despise your youth, Timothy. But set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Let them see your life. Put it out there for them. But make sure it is like this, in love, in purity, and in conduct, and in faith, and so on. So if we are to consider, not only remember our leaders, but consider their manner of life as important, look at the third statement, what he says. And imitate their faith, he says. Or follow their confession. Now here's a command to emulate them, to imitate them, to be just like them. Now I hope, dear congregation, that by now, when you consider those who lead, when you think of their obligation and their responsibility that's laid upon them, that you might remind yourself that it is an immense responsibility and obligation, and it would be good to be prayed for. I covered your prayers. Because of the responsibility. My own life must be like this, the writer to the Hebrew says. A life to be remembered, a life to be considered, a life to be imitated. I mean, how frightening is that? That responsibility. You know, it's only a fool who rushes into the Christian ministry. There are many fools out there who've done that. There's only one thing that is required for the Christian ministry at the start, and that is to have a genuine call to the ministry by God. You must know that you are called. That is the conviction that undergirds everything else and from there flows everything. If you have no conviction of a call, then don't even go near it. Only a fool would dare to tread in on that ground. 
So it is God's call that is the first motivation of a true minister. Isn't that what Paul meant when he said to the Romans, I am a debtor. I'm under obligation. Or Jeremiah, his word was like a hammer, like a fire that I can't put out. I just got to keep talking, keep telling you, keep speaking God's word to you. You see, the call cannot be thrown away or disregarded without the most serious consequences connected to it. You can see some of that, by the way, in verse 17, right? The account that the leaders have to give to God because they are, have souls under their care. No wonder Paul was so afraid and trembled to speak the gospel to the Corinthians. I was with you in much fear and trembling, he says, because of the immense responsibility of preaching Jesus and Him crucified. So to have anybody follow your life is a, an obligation that is very serious. So notice what he says you should follow. Imitate their faith. Their faith. What does he mean by that? Their faith, what they have believed, right? The faith. The faith. Make sure you believe the faith. Not only that, but how they live in the light of the faith. Their faithfulness. So when you imitate their faith, you're not looking just at, at well, he says he believes, but what is it that he believes and how does he live in the light of what he believes? The faithfulness to the faith. It's a shared faith. The faith. It's your faith. It's my faith. It's our faith. And our faith is simply a response to the truth, always, to live by faith. So we emulate, he says, these examples, these lives of faith, to be encouraged. Now, you know, I'm a great lover of Christian biographies. I love all kinds of biographies. But I especially love Christian biographies. There's one simple reason why I love Christian biographies, because they encourage me. Because they stir me up. Because they challenge me. They show me Christ in the lives of men and women who have died in the past. And I can read about them and be stirred up in my faith. And it's a great way to encourage yourself is to read Christian biographies. And there's so many that are out there. They stimulate us when we do that to be like the subjects that we're reading about. This is what the writer says when you imitate their faith. You are seeking to be like them, he says, because they are examples. You seek to live like them because they are an encouragement. So a leader is to be an example and to be an encouragement to the people of God. Now, you know, when I get discouraged, which happens, by the way, quite often, uh, you might not think that, but it does. When I get discouraged, I read God's Word. It's the first place I go to. I mean, I, go to the, I can go to the Psalms and read the Psalms, and I'm encouraged by that. And I'm changed by that. So I always read God's Word first. But then I like to read something about how God has dealt with other Christians. And it's remarkable how encouraged you get from seeing what God did for them, right? And how He worked in their lives. So imitating somebody should be natural, right? I mean, little children imitate their parents. They don't think about it. They don't, they don't try and analyze it. They just do what their parents do. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? This is how little children are. It's just a simple following that changes all of your life. But it starts with what is believed, the faith. 
And then it goes on to how that faith is lived out, how it is believed. So you look at a leader's life and you see what is it that he believes and then how does he live in the light of what he says he believes? His faithfulness to the faith, which is the same for you. You confess the faith and therefore you should be faithful to the faith. So to believe anything that's strange or unwarranted by the Word of God is going to affect your life negatively. There's no question about that. False ideas and doctrines and teaching, they all influence those who hold them. That's just normal. Whatever you believe is going to affect your life. He says, the writer, you must follow the Word of God, the truth of God. Follow the examples of godliness of those who say they believe this word. Imitate that pattern of life, those who depend upon God and upon His Word. Now, I've been reading a book recently on military intelligence uh, in Germany, in West Berlin, in the 1960s, 1970s, and 1980s, the Cold War espionage. And one of the things they engage in, of course, in espionage back and then, and counterintelligence, was simply the following of a suspect, following somebody. So you, you, you see the, the, the victim, per se, and you see the agents following that person. They are not following that person to be like that person. They have other ulterior motives in hand. That's not what he means as if you follow from a distance for other purposes. The reason, he says, you follow the leaders is to imitate their faith, to be like them in what they believe, to follow close at hand. Now, these Hebrews, let's remind ourselves, they are suffering trials. They are they're having a hard time as Christians. They're being persecuted for their faith. So they're facing these things. He says to them, now listen, remember your leaders, their way of life. Remember their faith. Remember those who spoke the word to you so that in your trials you will think about how they handled their life and live your life in the light of it. Which only places a greater responsibility upon the leader, right? To be the right kind of leader in those situations. He says just stay fixed and just stay focused on what you have heard from them and what you have learned from them and reflect on it and think about it and emulate that life. It was the church father, Chrysostom, who said that faithfulness in little things is the big thing. Faithfulness in little things is the big thing. All the little things add up to, to your life. Ian Murray, contemporary, has said that faithfulness to God is our first obligation in all that we are called to do in the service of the gospel and of Christ. Faithfulness. It is required of a steward that he be found faithful. That's all. That's what I must be like as a Christian, as a preacher. That's what you must be like as a Christian. Faithful. So how do you do that? Remember, consider, and imitate, he says. Or, to put it the other way, recall to your mind how you've heard the word and those you've heard the word from. And you may have heard the word from a number of people. Recall to your mind the Word and what it has done in your life and regard their outcome, their manner of life and respond to it. Imitate their faith. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your Word from the Epistle to the Hebrews again. 
Thank you for the obligations that are laid upon us in this verse, and especially those of us who preach the word. May we be found faithful. Help us, we pray, because we are weak instruments and foolish at times. Forgive us our many sins and cleanse us, we pray. And Father, we pray that for each of us as a congregation, as a, as a body of disciples, as a body of Christians, that we might all uh, go back to the Word of God time and time again and remind ourselves of how precious it is to us and be thankful for it that you, you used instruments in bringing the Word to us and now we ourselves as Christians should conform our lives to be lives that are examples for everyone else. That's how we encourage one another as brothers and sisters by our commitment and our conduct and our character and our convictions and our consistency, all of these things. So help us and change us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit to be this kind of Christian, this, these kinds of people. We praise you that you, by your Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, you speak to us. We hear the Word of God. Help us to respond, we pray, and to live in the light of that. What a privilege it has been then for us this Lord's Day to worship and to think on these holy things. Now we pray that you send us forth and care for us. We commit this week to you. Help us in our daily work. Uh, help us to work and whatever we do, for, to do it for your glory. And so we praise you and we thank you for your grace to us that's come to us in sa saving us in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you for new life that the Holy Spirit ministers to us. Thank you that we read your word and are built up in our faith. Help us to be faithful Christians, each one we pray. We ask all of these things now as we part with thanksgiving in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.